hello and welcome back, boys and girls, to this another episode of the Listen Boys and Girls podcast. It's me, Donna Gales, and I'm your chief storyteller in this classroom of life and your teacher's aide to assist with those things that you might just need a little bit of help with. It is The end of the month, we are looking at the close of National Family Caregiver Month, the close of National Hospice and Palliative Care Month, the close of Alzheimer's Awareness Month. And tomorrow is a day that many celebrate in Thanksgiving for many blessings, but I am thankful every day and I hope you are as well. As we move toward the close of this month, where I will be participating in a wonderful webinar sponsored by my organization and the Center for Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging through Capital Caring Health, I am compelled to close this conversation with a tremendous guest who I had the pleasure of meeting and have just been amazed by. We want you to know that caregiving is such an honor and there's so many components to it. So many people don't even believe themselves to be caregivers, but if you have given care to another person in any capacity, whether that be mowing the lawn or cooking dinner, running errands, picking up mail, whatever, extending care to another person, whether that be an elder, whether that be a child, whether it be a peer, a sibling, whatever, caregivers are varied, but each and every one are very important. I have a wonderful guest today. I won't steal her thunder. I'll let her introduce herself, but I want you to stay tuned and listen in for this very special last edition of the Caregiver series on this Listen Boys and Girls podcast. I am so delighted tonight to have with us your proactive caregiver advocate, Dr. Cynthia Hickman, my friend. And I am so thankful to have her join us. Dr. Hickman, how are you? Donna Gale, <laughs> good evening. It is wonderful to hear your voice and to hang out with you today. Listen, it's been a while. It's been what, like six months now? Six, seven About months? About six months. months. Yeah, about seven months since I saw you and hugged you and all that good stuff. I know. I know we had such a great time. For the boys and girls that are listening, I met Dr. Cynthia Hickman during my amazing experience on the Sean Fair Leadership Experience Tour. And her story is so captivating. She's such an amazing woman and just relatable. Funny as all get out. <laughs> I mean, some of the stuff that was happening, you you had to be there. <laughs> but I can <laughs> definitely say it was a delight to, to meet her. And so I am thrilled to be able to share with you, Miss Hickman, Dr. Hickman, Miss Cynthia, all of those things. Because she, I mean, you will know her, you will love her, you will call her auntie, you will call her Miss Cynthia, you will call her Dr. Hick, all of the things. She's all of those things. And I'm thankful because she is touchable, relatable, able to hear you, connect with you, see you. And as a caregiver, that is so important. Many of you know that it is National Hospice and Palliative Care Month because of the work that I do and the work that I love. I always celebrate hospice and palliative care, but it's also National Family Caregiver Month, as well as 
Alzheimer's Awareness Month. All three of those things give me reason to be thankful, reason to celebrate because caregivers are some of the most dedicated but unthanked people on the planet. They do so much with so little at times. And I am forever committed to the caregiver because having had the challenge of becoming a, a part of a caregiving team myself with my mom, it is it is more than a notion. And so I'm going to stop talking because, you know, I just talk. Dr. Hickman, tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself so the boys and girls can know the pleasure that I'm having talking with you. Sure. Well, hello, everyone. Thanks so much again for listening in to us. I have I have a disclaimer. You know, we're at home in the pandemic, so I have a child. His name is Joey. He's a dog. And you might hear him from time to time. I don't know if I should apologize. All I can say is I don't know where the muzzle is, so I can't shut him up. Don't muzzle Joey. He's got to be a part of it. He's like, okay. hey, I'm part of this. She cares for me. Absolutely. And absolutely. And I have a story about Jay, uh, Joey that I'll share with you later. Mm -hmm. But I do want to say, uh, Miss Donna, thank you so much for having me. And I noticed that, yes, it is National Hospice and Palliative Care Month. And it is, yes, family. National Family Caregiver Month, and it's and it's a time to celebrate what we should celebrate 365 days a year. Agreed. Because caregiving does not stop at the end of a month. I'm glad we I'm glad that we celebrate certain months for certain events. But I'm called your proactive caregiver ever because I want everyone to know that caregiving is a proactive reality, mm -hmm. even though we find ourselves operating in a reactive mode. So my goal is to help you understand that we have to think about it ahead of time before we need it. So I am originally from Toledo, Ohio, mm -hmm. and I was born and raised there. My nursing degrees are from Toledo, Ohio. Toledo Hospital School of Nursing was my first nursing degree. It was a diploma program. After graduating from there, I went on to move to Texas, where I got my bachelor from Prairie View A&M University, mm -hmm. College of Nursing. You know, <laughs> and my last two degrees were from Walden University, which is a master's in nursing education and a Ph.D. in health services with a specialization in leadership. Mm -hmm. And I did that track because I didn't want to be just stuck in nursing 100%. So because of my PhD, I'm able to navigate different aspects of the healthcare environment. So the caregiving environment does not just deal with nursing in an acute care setting where I spent about 30 years. Mm -hmm. It also relates to in the home. So my journey of caregiving started when my mother came to live with us. Mm -hmm. 20 years, she was in our home. And initially started out, she was very independent, but over time, she started needing some assistance. And I subsequently quit my job in 2013 to take care of her full time because mm -hmm. I saw the progression of an elderly person in the home. But what I want to say, because I know you work with boys and girls, that it's no time like the present for them to start having a conversation Absolutely. about caregiving and what that means. Because in my research, I found that boys and girls care for their families in the home more than we realize and probably more than your audience realizes, because they too have a requirement of taking care of people in the home. Absolutely. Because we have, what do you call it now? We have families living with families. Absolutely. So we have mom's mom with her. We have dad's dad with, with, with them. 
and the children are still going to school and trying to, you know, be children. Mm -hmm. But there are cases where boys and girls have parents who have health issues, uh, physical issues, mental issues, and the boys and girls begin to start taking care of their families. Age. So it's a good way to talk about with the boys and girls how I want them to start thinking about being a caregiver, even in their age population right now. I think what's very interesting when I looked at some of the research, most of the children who are caring for parents or grandparents in the home start at 8 to 11. It's that true. was like a third. And then 40% of them are 12 to 15. Now, this is an age group when the children are finding themselves. They've gone on to high school. They're finding mm -hmm. their way in high school. But they also uh, have to deal with caregiving in the home. So it's, true. it's a wonderful connection, Donna, that we're talking about it because it can have positive and negative consequences for the child. So sure. we have to kind of find ways to help them understand that caring for a person is not a negative thing. It is a positive thing, but we do have to help them become proactive in what that means, even as a youth. Absolutely. I'm glad we're having this conversation. And just as youth, as adults, one of the things that I really stress is caregiving can be much more, um, or should I say, less stressful if we're organized. Just as they go mm -hmm. to school, they have to be organized in school. Caregiving takes on the same attribute of if you were going to school. You have your schoolwork, you have assignments, you have tests, you have guidelines, you have deadlines, and caregiving operates similar in that space. So I'm hoping that our conversation today with you on your podcast, talking mm -hmm. to you, and hopefully some of the parents are listening as well, there's things that we can do to be proactive in the caregiving space. It eliminates anxiety. It reduces burnout. It helps us with stress. And we have to know that we all, at some point in time, are going to care for somebody. Absolutely. Absolutely. Rosalind Carter said it's only four kind of people in the world. You Either, sure did. I mean, and it's the truth. And just for those who may be joining for the first time and may not be familiar, you may have, I know you have a large following, so your people might come listen to me. So <laughs> I just want to share that. Um, for those that are listening, this is a conversation that is ongoing because there are caregivers of every age caring for people of every age. Because mm -hmm. with caregiving, you know, a lot of people who actually are caregivers don't even consider themselves caregivers. That's true. <laughs> Parents are caregivers. Uh, children who are caring for elderly parents are caregivers. Sometimes when you have um, parent or households where there aren't multiple parents or adults in the home, sometimes you have children who are caregivers to other children. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to make sure that everyone knows that if you're providing any kind of care and or support to a loved one, to a neighbor, to a friend, to a church member, you are a caregiver. Yes. If you picked up that mail, if you went and ran to CVS to get that prescription, all of those are caregiving aspects. And so many people don't acknowledge those things, but yet they do them every single day. Someone mm -hmm. who is, you know, going to the grocery store for a, a disabled neighbor may not consider themselves a caregiver, but yes, in fact, they are. Whenever they are extending care Absolutely. to or for someone, it is a caregiving role, whether that's limited 
whether that's extended, whether it's temporary, whether it's permanent, all of those things matter. And so I always like to bring that out, having been certified through the Rosalind Carter Institute for Caring to be a certified dealing with dementia trainer, um, specific to this time frame, a lot of people who are caring for those with cognitive decline, they, you know, people don't recognize that dementia, Alzheimer's um, disease, right. these are terminal illnesses, right. you know, right. people don't look at it that way. They'd say, oh, dementia, she's just forgetful and, you know, mm -hmm. it's now." Well, yes, yeah, senile degeneration of the brain is, right. is dementia. To, right, and it, and it continues to a safety concern if we're not paying attention. For and sure. children can see that. So I agree with you 100%. For sure. For sure. And I like the fact that you said that because what people don't realize, I think the caregiving world that we live in, I think the word turns people off, if that makes sense. I think it does. It's deemed as being a low low on the totem pole, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, low on the totem pole part. Uh, in in our society, and because of that, people don't want to call themselves caregivers because it makes it seem like we go straight to well, you don't make but seven dollars an hour, and so they equate the the word with a financial line or how you're getting paid, and so people don't want to hear that word because that's how they equate, and we gotta change that narrative. We do. We have to say that caregiving, like you mentioned. To the mailbox. If Granny can't go to the mailbox on her own anymore, then you're taking enough care to go get her mail. If you need to go to the store for her, like you meant it, you're taking care and time to go do that. So really, caregiving is all about problem-solving tips, and these are tips that we need to say out loud to people so they can realize we know that caregiving mm -hmm. impacts adults, but it also impacts our children. And so Absolutely. we have to let them know if granny has a cognitive condition, okay, then there's things that you can do if granny can't remember where her shoes are. As a caregiver, we want granny's feet warm. So we want to find her shoes for her. That's caring for her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is caring for her. And so, you know, to the point of my overall theme, because this is my third season, I'm thankful to God for um, the divine orchestration to do this. And the concept of the podcast overall was to focus on lessons that we can all benefit from. And the reason mm -hmm. that it's called Listen Boys and Girls is because there is a child in all of us who has all kinds of concerns, things that have gone un unaddressed, things that have impacted us that continue to keep us in places where that little boy or that little girl needs some attention and some help to move beyond that place. And mm -hmm. so in connecting that to this theme, there are many people who are, and I'm just going to say it, who are resentful for having to be a caregiver as a, as a young person. So that connecting it to this theme, you know, um, I, I have friends that I grew up with who were the oldest child in the home and they were given the role of caring for the younger siblings that has caused a lot of resentment in, in some mm -hmm. folks. And so mm -hmm. what people don't like to talk about are the, the feelings that sometimes come up with caregiving that aren't always positive. And I just like to make sure that people understand that you're not alone. If you don't always feel warm and fuzzy about caregiving, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. I love that because you're absolutely right. And another scenario that is very timely, what I've seen occur in many incidents, 
I have seen parents have children who are adults and then they have a child when the child is 18 or 19. Mm -hmm. And so now the 18 year old who was supposed to be going off living their life and doing what they need to do are now ended up being the babysitter for this child because they now have a sibling mm -hmm. that's 15 years younger than they are. Mm -hmm. And that does create resentment. And some of that has turned into children acting out because sure. they really don't want to be the caregiver to mama's child even it's though true. they're an adult and that is but I think the fact that they say it out loud is the start of healing and understanding and parents need to recognize this as well if you have younger children and older children in such large gaps 10-15 years that's difficult for the child without a conversation with them so that's the same thing that adults have when we talk about burnout as adult caregivers. Mm -hmm. oh, for the sure. same thing applies to children. Children can get burnout. They can get stressed out because while you're doing that, this kid may have school responsibilities, after school responsibilities, and you're tying them babysitting, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that causes a lot of a lot of stress. So we have to look at the whole picture. We have to look at the family dynamics and we have to have a conversation about how can we help each other be true caregivers and love on our on the ones that need care without us feeling stressed out, burned out uh, because we're in a situation that for no part of their own, nobody asks for conditions that they get. They don't it's true. ask to have Alzheimer's. They don't it's ask true. for dementia. They don't no, ask for no. cancer and no. mental health and substance abuse. They don't ask for any of this, mm -hmm. all any of this, mm -hmm. but it does happen. So what it really says that we truly boy, girl, man, woman, we are our brother's keeper. And we have to realize that part of being our brother's keeper is caring for them and having those conversations with them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And my, my organization, uh, Capital Caring Health, is a leader in hospice and palliative care. And we offer many resources and tools for families who are getting prepared to, to care because being a caregiver, like you said, oftentimes that happens very unexpectedly. Yes. Unfortunately, a lot of times in our communities, people um, don't frequent the primary care physician the way that they should. A lot of times people are in an emergent situation because of some kind of trauma or distress. They go in sometimes with pain that they feel like they're just going to get a little something for it and leave. And boom, now you have a diagnosis that is very severe, Absolutely. very critical with a poor prognosis. And it changes Everything. Everything. Yes, it Everything. does. And, and we don't talk about that. We don't think about that. But a lot of people are thrust into that situation because we haven't considered. Right. You know, and I, I always advocate um, through my own experiential knowledge and also being in this industry almost 15 years to have conversations that help you be prepared for whatever may come, especially now. And mm -hmm. I think during this pandemic, it has brought a focus that was much needed. Of course, it, tremendous losses through the pandemic, horrible, horrible losses, very, very significant. I mean, widespread and throughout. Many families have been devastated by devastated the by the pandemic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But knowing now through this time, people have been forced to look at mortality in a way that they haven't ever looked at it. Mm -hmm. Because now we had a threat that could impact anybody, anytime, anywhere. It didn't matter where you lived, how old you were. 
it didn't matter. You know, all of these things that we try to sometimes pacify ourselves. Well, I'm not sick or I'm not old or I'm not this or I'm not that. When the pandemic impacted us globally, it made it a level playing ground that people anywhere can be impacted by this this virus, this this mm-hmm. this situation. And it made people start thinking. And I think, of course, as we continue to be in it and as we continue to learn, as, as we continue to move through it and prayerfully survive it to the place where we are able to see a different um, portrait of normalcy, because we're not going back. We're not going back. We're not going back. Absolutely. There's no no back going. going Now it's really trying to realize that we have to pay attention to Mm -hmm. our current situation and we have to use our tools and resources to stay safe and to be aware Mm -hmm. and in the meantime continue to care for one another. And, you know, when I hear the word oftentimes when everybody is getting, you know, tired of this and tired of that. You, do you really get tired of your parents? Do you get tired of your children? You, we get tired of our ways. I mean, mm-hmm. that's human mm-hmm. nature. But as far as us really being connected from from birth to the grave, we care because that's our pathway. And so we have to, like you said, talk about these things in a way that we can educate and inform so there's no surprises. And of course, we'll have a few, but at least you'll have a working knowledge of what maybe might come down the te- you know might come down the um, pipe. A good example of that, Donna, is just say for example, and I'll take my mom. My mom came here walking, driving, and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Over time, we went from her walking independently to her holding onto furniture when she walked around, to eventually having a single point cane, to eventually having a quad cane, to eventually needing a walker, to mm-hmm. eventually needing a wheelchair. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. that whole progression of things, but we saw that coming based on being observant to what was going on in in our environment. And boys and girls can do the same thing. When you look in your environment, does your mother walk with some type of aid that maybe the furniture is kind of set in an awkward position that maybe she might bump it or fall? Or what kind of medicine somebody might be on if they bump the side of a table, for example, if someone's on blood thinners Mm -hmm. and bump their leg and they bleed inside and you don't realize they're bleeding inside until they pass out or fall out or they're leg turns black and blue mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then you're paying attention so all these steps of being proactive helps you understand that there's things that we all can do to support each other in this caregiving space and don't be ashamed of that because really when you care for somebody else what did what did jesus christ do the ultimate caring for all of us mm-hmm. was god gave his son for us he did he did and the the bottom line is that we all need someone to care for us. Whether we come to a physical place of need, every person alive needs somebody to do something for them. Physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, we need each other. And those situations manifest differently. We don't know when we're gonna need some help. You know, I remember um, myself, I had, my mother became a caregiver for me many years ago when I had um, an issue with the disc and I had to mm-hmm. learn how to walk all over yeah. again. Mm-hmm. It was terrible. I was, mm-hmm. I had the most significant pain I ever had in my whole life. And of course mm. I've never had children, but I, I was like, God, please. I, I couldn't even sit up straight in a chair. I had to lay down and eat my food. 
Wow. I had to lay on my stomach. I could not sit. I could not. Mm -hmm. It was terrible. But my mother was a caregiver for me. She helped me through that process. She took me to my appointments, you know, but, but of course I was a grown person. Right, but I'm still right. my mother's baby. Right. <laughs> I'm, <always laughs> I'm this 48-year-old okay. baby. Hey, but, nothing wrong with it. But it changed the dynamic because nobody wants to have to be cared for. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants that. Nobody no. nobody no. wants to lose no. the ability and to take care of themselves. Right. Nobody right. wants that. Right. And I've said that, Donna. I've made the comment many, many times when I've speak with people. If they could, whoever they is or are Mm -hmm. they would if they could get up and do their own thing they would if they could do their own bathroom daily living things they would if they could not ask for help they would but because we have to have this relationship with each other Mm -hmm. we that's the way we have to take our compassion to another level and it and it goes about being uh caring for those who can't do for themselves, and there are some situations where people recover like you said you know and they move on but another interesting thing is why the boys and girls need to pay attention is there's a huge statistic out now that parents are outliving their children it's true it is and true. because that's that's becoming more and more of a reality we really need to look at that for young people growing up and not taking care of themselves and not eating right and not getting proper rest and doing things that they shouldn't do. All these things that you keep doing to your body, doing to your body as a young person, it catches up with you. And then as a 40 year old, like you were saying, your parents are now taking care of you. And then because of your, if you get a chronic condition or a chronic illness, then you're really being taken care of. And if you don't manage that condition well, you pass. Your parents are left by themselves as we try to figure out, well, who's going to take care of mama? Because, you know, we think in society our our children are supposed to take care of our parents. You know, but we're losing our children. We're we're losing our children. And COVID showed that we've had young people pass from COVID. It really we've had older people died from COVID. And well and and COVID hit my family. My sister's only daughter died from COVID. Her only child. She was forty nine years old. Yeah. My God, my God. And and while that was going on, my sister was taking care of her. Mm. 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 It's it's devastating, and as you know from my the speech that I did with um, with the leadership experience mm-hmm. tour, you know one of my spiritual godmothers was one of the very first losses I had this year in January, and that was devastating because as a nurse as well took mm-hmm. great consideration to be careful, and mm-hmm. you know it was it again it, it was so impactful this whole process of loss because I mean. In the industry that I work, of course, I get connected with families all of the time. I have patients, friends, family, loved ones pass away through this process. More than 50 people I knew personally pass away in in this time of the pandemic. So, I mean, so much trauma with, with the losses. But at the same time, knowing and understanding that there was significant resources available to those who were caring for people remotely. I mean, that we we became very inventive and resourceful through this uh, pandemic and allowed people to be connected in ways that we hadn't been considering before. Yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. remote caregiving is a thing as well. A lot of people don't talk about that, but 
like my family, my mom is here, but my mother has seven children, seven living children. And mm-hmm. all of us are not in this area. I'm in Virginia. My sister currently, there's a sister in Maryland. There's a sister, I mean, a brother in Maryland. There's another sister uh, that was in Pennsylvania. I mean, just we everywhere. You're everywhere, so, yeah. You know, you can't always only look at the person who is physically on site because everybody who cares for that person is providing their care in the way that they can. Right. So, I mean, it was. it's just a lot of things. And I know we've talked very uh, specifically about the dynamics of caregiving, but talk to us, myself and my listeners, about your mom. My mom, her name is Shibolithia B. Lewis. I have to say that name. It makes me smile now. Yes, that has not yes. always been the case. I heard that but smile my, when you said it. <laughs> yeah. My mom was an educator uh, in Toledo, Ohio. She uh, taught us everything we knew for the most part, but she was such a gentle giant we call the matriarch of our family because she was a caregiver in a way that I can't really explain but she always considered someone else she always considered the other person the Mm -hmm. underdog the, Mm -hmm. the neighbor and all of her children she loved her children she loved her grandchildren and so it it became really easy to take care of her knowing that she gave so much to us but now I have to be honest with you there were days when I did not want to do it Mm -hmm. That's the raw reality of recognizing that caregiving is not something that you take lightly, but it is something that when it wears on you, if you say it out loud, you can recover. Mm -hmm. If you keep it inside, you burn out, you get angry, you get frustrated. And so all those things happen. But my mother uh, was well for the most part. She had very few hospitalizations. She uh, actually was diagnosed with heart failure in her 80s. But mm-hmm. because I took care of patients in the hospital for 25 such plus years with congestive heart failure, my mother never had a hospitalization for heart failure because I knew how to manage her at home. That's a blessing. That, That's a blessing. that was a blessing. Absolutely. And the hospitalizations that she did have were minor things, you know, urinary tract infection. She did have knee replacements over time. She did have, have a pacemaker over time. But none of that slowed her down. The, 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 the week that she went into the hospital, she went in the hospital because she had a urinary tract infection. Let me back up just a minute. Mm-hmm. When I was home with her, Dr. Hickman, you still there? Move about. And I found it early. And as a nurse, I knew what to do. Mm-hmm. But she, at that point, she was having bowel and bladder issues. And so I was concerned about her skin breaking down. And at this point, Don, it was such a blessing. Her doctor decided to bring have home visits so mother would not have to we didn't have to drag her to the get her in the car, get her in the doctor's office. Her doctor said, I'm going to start coming to your home and see your mother. Because there was too much for us to get her there and all that. But Mm -hmm. this particular incident when she was having trouble with her skin, I called the doctor and I said, I want to insert a Foley because she has this breakdown and I want to get it cleared up. Well, the doctor said, well, you know, Foley's can cause infections and blah, 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 and this and that. And so I said, okay, thank you very much. And I hung up. So I called a friend (laughs) of mine and I says, I know you... uh, uh, I said, this is what I need. I need a Foley bag. I need some sterile gloves. I need a catheter kit. I need to put a Foley in my mother because I'm trying to keep her skin from breaking down. So long story short, I got my equipment. I put a Foley in my mother. I called her doctor back and I said, Dr. C, 
I put a Foley in mother and I need an order for the Foley. She gave it to me, didn't question me. That's what you call a proactive step. I advocated Absolutely. for my mother because it was important. Absolutely. So when she got to the point where she couldn't move around, she had a hospitalization for uh, a urinary tract infection. But on that particular hospitalization, she was eating and she aspirated. Now, I had DNR on her, all the important papers on her. But the day that she coded, the admitting nurse that I gave the documentations to on the day of her admission, she never got them to my mother's chart. So the day that I went home to rest and my husband and my sister were at the hospital with my mother, when she coded, they did the full CPR, jump on the chest and intubate her. None of that my mother wanted. None of that my mother wanted. So when I got to the hospital, Donna, I was beside myself. I know you were. I was screaming and yelling, why is that tube in her throat? What is going on? She never wanted that. And I said, where are the documents on her chart? And they said, what documents? And I said, I gave them to the admitting nurse last night. And they never got there. My, 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 my. The whole picture was really God's plan to bring all four of us together because my mother had not seen all four of us in a long time together. Wow. So God made that happen. So mm-hmm. mother came home from the hospital. I, I brought her home in the hospice. My sisters kind of fought me on that a little bit. We're not ready for that. I just kind of heard what they said, but I went on and did what I did. And so she came home from the hospital. She extubated with no worries. We all didn't think she was going to breathe, and she did. We brought her home. She came home on oxygen. And on August 13th, we gave her the biggest birthday party. She turned 97. (laughs) All right. Uh, And then seven days later, on August the 20th, she passed. But looking back at that story, Donna, God had a plan in it that we didn't see at the time. Of course. I realized it later because Mm -hmm. we were all stuck in the, you know, in the caregiving mode, what's going on with her, what's going to happen with her. But, you know, looking hindsight now, I saw, I see the plan that he had for us that, of course, is a good thing we didn't see it before. Right. So her journey in the caregiving mode was not all hands-on early on. But the most important part was being proactive and paying attention saved a lot of issues that if I had been blinded to those. So I tell people all the time, one of the first talks that I have when I'm in front of people, I say, what do you really know about caregiving? And then I say, let's take the blinders off. Mm -hmm. Because what that does is begin to open your eyes to what you might think is insignificant, Mm-hmm. But it's very significant. Very. And boys and girls, those are the same principles. If you if you're at home with uh, with other family members who are elderly and they and they're using different equipment, if you're throwing your shoes in the middle of the floor, or you have your jacket on the floor, or there's stuff on the stairs when people are going up and down the stairs, we're gonna start putting those things away and removing those things. And hanging up your jackets and putting your shoes in the closet. Don't have things in the floor where someone in your home who may have altered mobility or maybe some cognitive decline. Vision impairment. Vision impairment. And they're going to trip over something in the home and hurt themselves. And once they fall and break something, that's a whole nother aspect oh my of goodness. caregiving. That, 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 and people don't realize, you know, um, for older persons in their home settings, although that is 
definitely the most comfortable place to be. A lot of times people are not conscious of the fact that their vision is changing, their balance yes. is changing. They might have blood pressure issues that might take them to a different, you know, mm -hmm. balance altogether. Blood mm -hmm. pressure, blood sugar. You know, some people are diabetic sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, all kinds of things mm -hmm. that people don't consider as it relates right. to safety, right. especially right. dealing with older adults. Because, right. of course, like you said, many of them are very, very independent. They mm -hmm. don't want you telling them nothing. They don't want you changing nothing. They don't want anything to, to move their routine. But mm -hmm. we have to be conscious of right. the pitfalls for caring for older adults because I mean and of course this is my passion because I am in hospice care and while hospice is not limited to any age group because we in fact have all children and yeah absolutely mm -hmm. all age groups cases. yes mm -hmm. but my passion is for older adults my mother is an older adult and all of our lives, she was in service to older adults. Even when mm -hmm. we were young, my mother would take us to the nursing home. We would sing to the folks and all these kinds of things. Right, right. Way, 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 way. When my mother had no issues, when she was active and all these things that she enjoyed. So I have a passion for caring for older adults. And mm -hmm. when you see someone declining, a lot of the times they are aware of their decline, but they are sometimes ashamed. And not only that, it's it's hard if if you put yourself in their shoes oftentimes, put yourself in their shoes, no one wants to truly admit sure. that they're getting older of and course. things are changing. You know, it, right. it's very hard to think about getting older and things changing and there's things that are changing that you have no control of. That's and true. I can just imagine, because I watched my mother, even in one of the books that I wrote, she said to me one day, just throw me away. And initially, mm -hmm. when I heard that comment, that that those words, I know what throw me away means. But mm -hmm. when I thought about it deeper, Donna, what it really said was she was very mindful at that point of the things that she could no longer do for herself. Mm -hmm. And internally, she was really just didn't want the fact that someone had to do the things for her that needed to be done. Just did not you know, want it. Mm -hmm. Did not want that. But I said to her, I said, well, Mom, why would I do that? Because at the end of the day, did you throw me away? You raised me. You raised my sisters. Why would you think I'd throw you away? But when you look at it from a broader perspective, mm -hmm. anybody who has taken care of themselves and been independent and doing their own thing and end up in a situation now where they have to depend on someone else for sure. mentally, for sure. mentally, that becomes really a problem for them. So we have to recognize that first because yeah. then you operate in a more empathetic way when you put yourself in the place of someone who could no longer drive, tie their shoes, go to the restroom on their own. Climb their stairs on their own. Go get their mail on their own. Go to the grocery store on their own. Once those things become somebody else's problem that they used to do without any help, mm -hmm. then that's when we have to really look at the picture of caregiving and saying, if that was me, how would I feel? How would I want to be treated? And so you take the caregiving role to a different level because now you're important to that person and that Absolutely. person should always be important to you. Absolutely. And, you know, it's so important that that word that you just made reference to that people often misunderstand empathy is not just feeling sorry for someone or feeling bad right. for them. It is seeing them as 
as you would see yourself putting yourself in that position and feeling how they would feel how they would feel that Absolutely. makes a huge difference mm -hmm. you know i remember mm -hmm. um one of one of my favorite patients and of course i'm, I'm not going to mention his name because that's a hipaa violation but, that's don't you do but, it <laughs> but um but he was one of my favorite patients and a lot of people warned me before I even met him oh he's gonna be so mean to you he's gonna be so nasty he's uh, but he was in a position where he didn't want to be people didn't listen to him people uh -huh. were always trying to tell him what he needed to do uh -huh. uh, he had some time he had some um problems in the past with substance abuse issues uh -huh. and he he felt like everybody was holding that against, against him. him yeah he wasn't being treated for his pain and he had lots of pain. And what people need to understand that pain is whatever the person says that it is. And it's not right. always physical. Right. But I right. was able, he, he had gone to school in Michigan. And when he found out I was from Detroit, we had, we were fast friends and people could not believe how nice he was to me. People couldn't believe in every, every Thursday morning I used to have, a um, medical director meeting where I would bring donuts and coffee and all this business. Mm -hmm. And I promised him that every time I had, every time I was there on Thursday, I was going to come and see him, whether we needed to talk to him or not, I was going to come and see him and I was going to bring him a donut for my meeting. His favorite donut was the blueberry donut and he loved croissants and wow. he also loved um, the uh, eclairs, but getting to know him and understanding how it feels to be misunderstood gave yeah. us an advantage in relationship that nobody else had with him. Mm -hmm. And it was simply because you have to take extra time to actually care about people, to care Absolutely. about what matters to them. Absolutely. And what mattered to him was that people listen to him mm -hmm. and not be dismissed. Not judge about him. Exactly. Right. And so we, right. we were able to forge a great relationship. And, you know, during the, he didn't have family and he asked me to promise him that when he took his last breath, I would be there. And of course we don't know when that's going to happen. And we, right. you know, I told him, I said, I cannot promise you that I will, but I promise you that I will try. Uh -huh. I don't know where I'll be. And, and I don't know how that's going to look, but fortunately the way that God understood his request and who he is as a person, he allowed me to be there. Oh, how wonderful. And I was thankful for that because yeah. I truly believe that caregiving is an extension of God's hand and heart to other people. Mm -hmm. I think that's well said, Donna, because I, I agree with you too. I think it's I think it's really important. And you know, as as we end our call, I wanna leave the listeners with um, something that uh oh, it sounds like we're gonna see back. Um, I want to leave the listeners with something from um, a, a publication that my organization has, okay. which is uh, caring for taking care of elderly parents. And it, it talks about taking care of you too. It says caring and caregiving is often rewarding, but undeniably stressful. Most caregivers have jobs and families in addition to the person for which they provide care. It's very easy to burn out and even become ill if you don't make it a priority to include yourself in your caregiving efforts. Don't feel guilty about taking time to care for yourself. You can't continue to care for your loved one properly if you burn yourself out or harm yourself in your health. 
get a two for one. Use your caregiver task as a way to care for yourself. For example, schedule a checkup for yourself the same day as you schedule your parents' appointment. Take naps and rest when your loved one does the same. Use your benefits. See if your employer has a plan that helps employees find caregiver resources, such as community services, counseling, and caregiver support groups. There are many ways to be supported as a caregiver, but you have to plan time to prioritize your health. Caregiving can put you under prolonged stress, and that makes healthy habits even more important, but it does also make them difficult. So we have to make ourselves sit down, eat at least those three meals, healthy meals, and take time to exercise and get enough sleep. I have to slap my own self on the wrist because I don't <laughs> do all of that. But I, these kind of conversations bring back to the forefront what we need to be doing. We need to do right. And so I have to make a commitment to myself to do those things as well. And just to take a break, you know, we go, 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 go. And in this environment, this societal construct, it's almost like a badge of honor to be so busy. And it's really not. No, it's, it's really not. not. It's, <laughs> it's really, really not. not. So as we close our conversation, and it's been such a joy to talk with you, uh, two things, two things. I want to know what you would like, what you would like to leave with the audience. And also, I I promise I want you to tell that story about um the the you know the the nighty business. <laughs> Okay, they gotta know that. about it. <laughs> okay, okay. What I really would like to uh, share uh, before, well, I'll share. I'll share the the the, the fun. Yeah. So caregiving is not only about you know hard work and and I call it bathing bath and bedtime shenanigans. It's not <laughs> all about that. Uh, it's not all about the business side, but it is about the business side. But there's always fun in the equation. So my mother, while she lived with us, she found a senior citizen center which she uh, attended, which was really a joy. Everybody loved my mother. But while my mother was there, my mother found a boyfriend. And her boyfriend was Mr. Henry. And Mr. Henry was from Barbados. Now, I don't know, listeners, if you know, but men from Barbados like it hot. And my mother, Miss Shibalethia, was hot. So one Christmas, the seniors all had uh, exchanged uh, names for Christmas gifts. And Mr. Henry got my mother's name. And Mr. Henry bought my mother a gift. And the gift was a negligee <laughs> with a halter top with a pair of panties to match. My mother brought this wonderful gift home to share with us. And I looked at it and I said, well, mama, uh, what you going to do with that? I said, Mr. Henry would never see you in that. <laughs> so she kind of smiled and went on by the way. So it was on a Friday. The center was closing down for the holidays. And for some reason, I don't know why I didn't get my mother dressed, but I didn't. But something said, Cynthia, go to the center and say your Merry Christmases and Feliz Navidad to all the seniors. So I go to the center. And as I got closer to where my mother sat, which is kind of sore the back, my eyes got bigger and bigger, <laughs> boys and girls. And when I got to my mother, my mother had taken this camisole negligee and put it on <laughs> underneath a suit jacket. And I screamed, mother, why do you have that on? And of course, my mother tells me to sit down and be quiet. So, as the story goes, Mr. Henry's birth, uh, Christmas gift, Mr. Henry was, ever was able to see his <laughs> gift on my mother. <laughs> that story tickles me so much because I can just 
see your mother sitting up there. Oh, my <laughs> Lord. And you know what's so funny is the older people didn't think nothing of it. Did nobody not recognize this was pajamas. <laughs> Sitting up there with that suit jacket on. Yeah. I can see her with a jewelry on. It. Animal print. <laughs> Animal print negligee underneath a suit jacket. Okay, mama, you got it going on. Okay. Oh, so listen. that was a, that was <laughs> one of the fun points of taking care of my mother. She loved color. She was um, just a joy, just a joy, uh, just to know that I was able to share in her journey. But what I'd like to say to you in closing is, I want you boys and girls and share with your parents to take on healthy habits as it relates to yourself and to the caregiving space. You all must adopt habits that relate to caring for one another because we are responsible for one another. If you have a toddler in your home and they fall, what do we do? We run and help them up. You know, if the, if the baby drops a pacifier on the floor, we run and we pick it up. These are all things about caregiving. If granny is in the home and she can't get her own glass of water, you get it for them. It's all about caregiving. And so it's very important that you all remember that we have to take on healthy habits as they relate to caregiving. And when we take on healthy habits, then we'll be less stressful, we'll have little anxiety, and we won't burn out because we'll see things coming in a proactive way and act on them. Because we can't continue to live in a proact in a reactive society. We have to know things are coming to prevent hurt, harm, and danger. From US children, boys and girls, to our older adults that live with us. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Cynthia Hickman, I love you to pieces and I'm so thankful for your contribution to this conversation. I think it's so important to not just hear what people know, but also hear what people have experienced because what comes from the heart touches the heart. And from my very first interaction with you, you've been a blessing to me and you've just been a wonderful person to know. And I'm so thankful that God aligned our paths to be able to connect in the ways that they have and we'll be able to continue in our respective directions, but ever connected because I'm thankful for what the work is together that we do individually and collectively. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Donna, for having me. And to everyone on the call who's hearing our voice, know that you are a caregiver because that's what we do on this side of heaven. We care for each other. We are our brother's keeper. Be well, everyone. Couldn't have said it any better. And as I always say at the end of my calls, if you listen, boys and girls, it just might change your world. It's always changing mine. Everybody be well until the next time. Bye-bye.